My son Augustine's four years old, and recently uh, our new favorite activity to do together is to play soccer. Um, he is your typical four-year-old boy that is just filled with energy, just maybe cranked up even more. And soccer is this great escape because we can just run and run and run, and he laughs and he loves it. Um, and as we're playing soccer, uh, it, there's, there's this interesting dynamic that he's only having fun when he's winning. Um, and so kind of how this plays out is if he's closer to my goal or his goal, whatever goal he's closer to all of a sudden becomes where he's going to shoot the ball. Um, the minute he realizes that I have more points than him, uh, it oftentimes can just turn into some sort of fit or let down and so as his dad, I, I bend to that. And I just, my goal is for him just to have fun. And so, uh, but as I look at my four-year-old son, the reality is, is if he wants to continue to play soccer throughout his life, there's going to be, have to be a shift where he recognized that that game has rules, that game has different players, and that in order to be competitive, in order to be successful in that environment, it's going to take more than the world revolving around him. I don't know if you guys have ever been to a four-year-old soccer game before, but it's like this cluster of locusts just following this ball around and no one's passing it because everything's about them. Um, the Christian psychologist from Harvard, M. Scott Peck, wrote in his book, We Are All Born Narcissists, and that learning to grow out of our narcissism is at the heart of our spiritual journey. Um, and it makes sense that when we're born, literally the world revolves around us. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist or a psychology professor from Harvard to realize that much of our life is just growing out of that and realizing that our life is ultimately a gift given towards the world, a gift given towards God. And so when we begin to live into that, what happens is maturity. And so today what we're going to be talking about is how does Jesus define maturity? How do we walk towards growth at a spiritual and emotional level? What is the trajectory that Jesus is taking us on in this journey as he moves us from narcissism, as he moves us from thinking about only ourselves? Where is he going? And, and I would I like to offer that Jesus is actually pretty clear on this. A matter of fact, more time than one, the Synoptic Gospels record that people approach Jesus with this question, which is the greatest commandment? Now, if you're an ancient Jewish person, your life is governed by these commandments. There's 10 of them, but actually there's 613 of them found within your sacred text, the Torah. And these laws govern your life. And if you're following the laws, you're found in God's favor. And if you're not, and you're outside of that. And so it's a very big deal in the Jewish imagination of which one of these laws is the most important. And Jesus summarizes all of the laws into two. He quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 6 and Leviticus 19 when he says this. And we'll read Matthew's account. Says Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Uh, there's, there's something comforting 
about when the world seems to be increasingly complex, that we can return to these simple yet profound statements that Jesus makes. Everything hangs on these two things, how we love God and how we love others. If you look at John's account, he records this in a unique way. He records Jesus at the Last Supper before he goes to the cross, washing his disciples' feet. And after he washes the disciples' feet in John chapter 13, he gives them this commandment. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. And what a profound statement. It says, the entire world will know you are my disciples, my apprentices, you are becoming like me if you obey this new command. Now, oftentimes we, we, we skip this idea. This is a new command. He's, he said this before. But the new command is, I want you to love others the way that I have loved you. He had just spent the last few moments washing the feet of disciples of all different backgrounds, all different types of people, one of which had just committed to betray him, another one who was about to disown him, and Jesus just loves. And so for us as followers of Jesus, the trajectory of our life, what maturity looks like is in, in for our spirits is to move towards a people of love. But the reality is is oftentimes what gets in the way is not our desire, it's not our will, it's not even necessarily our spirit that is longing to love people. Oftentimes it's our emotional unhealth that we don't know how to love people well. I think it's one of the things that quarantine has shown us is that when you put people together, even people who we like each other, in close proximity that much time together, what we begin to see is there's things that we begin to start noticing I think while we look at it, that the political or the social climate around us is so easy to find reasons to disagree. And yet again and again, Jesus calls us to be people of love. And so the theme of today's message is how do we grow in maturity and emotional health to become a person of love, to become a people of love? Because this is the telos. This is the end goal that Jesus is trying to get us to. And so he, he defines this in different ways. He says that we are to love God, that we are to love people. Later on in John's letter, we find out we can't love God until we recognize he's first loved us. And so I would just kind of give us those three, those three goals. We need to learn to receive God's love in order that we may love God in return and in order for us to love others. But today specifically, I just want to just kind of go through some practical pastoral steps and what does this look like to love other people well? How do we move into maturity? And, and again, just a reminder, this is not something you just want to do. Oftentimes we find ourselves in relationships or situations that we find ourselves disheartened because the desire we had hasn't manifested. We haven't grown and matured in our ability to love others. And so I want to just give you just a few things to think through and how to become a greater and more mature person of love for those people in your life that are around you. Five things. Number one, we must become people who embrace conflict rather than avoiding it. Number two, we need to become people who speak in love and listen with intent. 
Number three, we have to stop uh, mind reading. We have to stop expecting people to read our minds. Number four, we have to become people who clarify expectations. And number five, we have to recognize our own emotional allergies and triggers in our life in order to move towards becoming a person of love. So just kind of walk through these five practical things of how uh, for us to engage the relationships around us, those around our table, the feet that we are called to wash, and how to do that in a way that will grow us into a different level. So number one, we have to embrace conflict rather than avoiding it. I find it interesting that after Jesus gives the greatest commandment in Luke's gospel of loving God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving our neighbor, he immediately goes into the story of the Good Samaritan. And if you're unfamiliar with the story of the Good Samaritan, I would encourage you to read it in Luke chapter 10. But it's this idea of these, of these righteous religious leaders who are praised by, by ancient Jewish society were either too busy, too distracted, or too frightened to engage someone who needed help. And here comes a Samaritan who would have been just kind of a, uh, a cultural and social outcast in the, in the Jew's mind. And that Samaritan ends up engaging the conflict at hand. There's someone who's been beaten along the side of the road. And if, you, if you're familiar with the story, he brings him to an end, pays for him to be able to recover and says, if you need more, I'll pay when you come back. It's this beautiful story. And Jesus points to this is the neighbor. It's not the person who appears to be mature. It's the person who lives into love, who walks towards the conflict. Now I say this, um, as someone who really hates conflict. I'm someone who actually has a really hard time engaging that at a natural level, yet I realize in order to grow as a person of love, I can't just walk around my problems. I can't walk around things in my life that have come as, that have been um, an, an inconvenience. Or if there's something that my wife and I need to work through, it's not gonna do good if I'm just like, hey, let's, can't we just move beyond it? No, no, as a person of love, I need to be able to walk into that. This is why in the Beatitudes, Jesus talks about how blessed are the peacemakers, not just the peacekeepers, not those, just those who maintain the status quo, but those who are willing to bring order, bring shalom, because they're willing to engage that. So that would just be my first encouragement to you. What conflicts in your life have you been avoiding? specifically relationally, that the Holy Spirit might be asking you to engage with love, not with defensiveness, not with a, a desire to dominate, but in love, longing to bring peace in your relationship. Number two, <clears throat> that we would become people who speak in love and, li <clears throat> and listen intently. I love this in Ephesians 4.15, it says, Speak the truth in love. We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. I think it's just fascinating how us choosing to speak in love is equated to maturity in the body. And so as we want to move towards mature, maturity, we have to become people who know how to do that. And oftentimes we choose one or the other. 
we either become, we're too good at speaking, we don't think through those things that we should say, and whatever comes to our mind or our heart, we just kind of let it come out, or we hide behind the excuse of love to never speak at all. Well, we're called, we're invited to become someone who speaks in love because we love those people we're speaking to. It has to begin from that place. And a great place to understand this of how do we do that? Well, how does Jesus speak to us? How does the Holy Spirit speak to us? How does he, he doesn't hide behind things that need to be addressed, but moves towards them, but does this with grace and with mercy and with love. And also to be someone who practices active listening. We'll talk about this in a couple weeks. But we have to be people who aren't just so preoccupied with speaking the truth in love that we forget that we are to be slow to speak slow to become angry and quick to listen, it says in James' letter. I love this again from Peck. He says, you cannot truly listen to anyone and do anything else at the same time. Let's say that again. You cannot truly listen to anyone and do anything else at the same time. This is something, and again, some people are better at multitasking than others, but the idea is that if we are to become a person of love, oftentimes that just begins with becoming growing and maturing in our ability just to listen and not listen so we can just speak that truth and love but just listen to listen and then let the Holy Spirit be the one who leads us into that number three um, we have to stop mind reading why because oftentimes if we are assuming things if we are nursing offense what we're doing is we're really entertaining a lie about someone else. And this is exactly what it says in Colossians 3.19. I'm sorry, 3.9 through 10. It says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Pete Cruzero says it like this. Every time I make an assumption about someone who has hurt or disappointed me without confirming it, I believe a lie about this person in my head. This assumption is, mis- is a misrepresentation of reality because I've not checked it out with the other person. It is very possible I am believing something untrue. It is also likely I will pass that false information or false assumption around to others. And so we have to be careful not to create narratives in our head about other people like, oh man, that person must really not like me. That person must be really offended with me. Man, I can't believe uh, that that person would do that. And the whole time we're creating this story in our head, but if we've never confirmed it with that person, we've never gone to that person and say, hey, can I ask you about this? Are you hurt by me? Are you offended by me? Then we have a very real possibility that we are entertaining a lie. And the Bible's clear that that's not what we are called to do. So we have to be people, like I said, who are moving towards truth, willing to engage conflict, to speak the truth in love, to listen actively, and to make a decision. I'm not just going to assume the worst and live in this lie in my head, but rather I'm going to seek the truth. Give others the benefit of the doubt. Fourthly, we need to clarify expectations. Um, if you've ever taken a communications class or done premarital counseling or marriage counseling, you, you know that oftentimes the fights and the conflicts happen because of missed expectations. 
Scazzaro talks about these four different expectations that we can have. Number one, our unconscious expectations. So we have these expectations of like, oh, that person should just know that. I should know that I like things this way or that I prefer when the toothbrush is put in the toothbrush container, not just left on the counter. And so we have these unconscious um, expectations. Another one, we have unrealistic expectations. I mean, I see this all the time. Because our hearts were shaped to long for God, oftentimes we put God-sized expectations on people we love and we're disappointed because all of a sudden, surprise, they're human beings. So a lot of times our expectations are unrealistic. Thirdly, we need to clarify unspoken expectations. How oftentimes do we have, maybe even if they're realistic expectations, we just have never shared them. And all of a sudden we become frustrated with this sense of like, man, we've never actually, never actually shared that. Never shared that I actually would prefer if this, things were done this way. And then fourthly, there's unagreed upon expectations. So sometimes we share our expectations, but the person we have a relationship with didn't agree to that. Maybe they're like, well, maybe you made that clear, but maybe I, I don't have that within me to give. And so I would just highly encourage you to clarify expectations within the relationships that you have. And then just the fifth practical pastoral point I would encourage you to do as we grow in love and maturity in our relationships is we recognize our own emotional allergies and triggers. You might be like, what's an emotional allergy? Well, the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality defines it like this. An emotional allergy is an intense reaction to something in the present that reminds us consciously or unconsciously of an event from our history. And so you, you might see this play out almost every single day or every week or every month when your boss or coworker says this thing and all of a sudden it creates this emotional allergy. And we've all experienced allergies, right? Santa Ana's come around, all of a sudden a reaction to something that should just be normal, all of a sudden we have an overreaction to that. Well, we can have emotional allergies. And those are opportunities for us to become aware, like, man, when you say that thing, it brings this whole other thing out of me. And that, again, it's for us an opportunity for us to go back, to listen to the Holy Spirit, see what He's inviting us to address and to welcome the healing that Jesus brings. And so, again, just as a reminder, just five practical pastoral things that we can do to grow into emotional maturity, grow in our ability to love our neighbors, is we have to embrace conflict rather than avoid it. We have to speak in love and listen with intent. We have to stop mind reading. We have to clarify expectations. And fifthly, we have to recognize our own emotional allergies and triggers. Um, the chances are you won't remember these five things, but, but maybe the Holy Spirit's pointing out one. Maybe he's saying, hey, there's, there's a pattern you've been doing that has been actually harming the relationships around you. And I would just encourage you, rather than trying to remember this whole last 15, 20 minutes, what's the Holy Spirit speaking to you right now? He says, hey, I want you to get on your knees, wash the feet of those at the table around you. I want you to move towards love. I want you to move towards emotional maturity because this fulfills the law. When we love God and we love people, we are showing the world that we are disciples and apprentices of Jesus. And so as we are getting towards the end of this series on emotional health, I would encourage us 
At some point, we have to make a decision. I'm going to move towards my own growth, healing, and maturation in my own ability to love other people. So what is the Holy Spirit saying to you today? What is the Holy Spirit showing you for you to grow in this area? So let me just pray for you. Lord, I, I, as I stand here, I, I recognize, God, that oftentimes my life looks like Augustine playing soccer. I want to choose my own goals. I, I want the world to revolve around me. I, I want to, to play the way that I want to play. But the reality is, God, you put me in this world to love you and to love other people. So help me grow in my ability to love my wife, my kids, my friends, my neighbors, whoever is listening. Help them grow in their ability to love their sphere of relationships around them. Lord, I pray whatever negative patterns we've developed, I pray that you just continue to gently walk us out of those and help us grow into people of honesty and love and empathy and compassion, ultimately into a person of love. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.